Can we just pause just for a second? No joke. Um, we've had a culture here at Crossroads for many, many years. We used to tell people when they would ask us if we were going to be closed, we'd say, if the mall's open, we'll be open. <laughs> That's not a good comparison in Adrian anymore. But uh, I guess we could say if McDonald's is open, we're open. But it's, it's not, I would say this, that the local church is that important. And yes, there's always going to be people that, um, because of health, because of challenges, because of where they live, can't make it in. And we understand that. We're never going to say, use our judgment for yours personally. But I'm so thankful for all these years. Even when we got up and people were here at 5 a.m., which we still have somebody here to open up that early. But we used to drag trailers in this weather. And we had set-up teams to brave this weather and shovel snow to make happen what we made happen so that God could change lives. And here we are now. We have a building. We have heat. We still, people get here early. There's a lot of people that you have no idea how many moving parts there are, even if we were to just do this live stream only, which was never even a possibility. So just with those opportunities, can you just help me? Those, those that set up in the parking lot that shoveled snow this morning, that did all those things so that we can be here, we had to be here one way or the other if we were even going to do something on live stream. But there's way, way more people than you have any idea that it takes to pull this off. So can we just worship God and thank them for doing that? Yeah. Wow, thanks to two of you that stood even. That's crazy. I thank both of you. <laughs> I wonder how many of you have ever stopped to ask yourself, why do you do what you do? Have you ever stopped and just asked yourself and thought about this for a little bit? Why do I do what I do? If you look at yourself over a period of time in certain situations, you'll notice that you generally do what you do. <laughs> but why do you do what you do? I'm going to tell you today why you do what you do. And I hope that after you kind of get over maybe the shock of it or like, oh my goodness, that we realize the power to change is in the answer to that question. And, and for example, let me give you three scenarios just to kind of set the tone of where we're going today. Um, what do you do? Think about what do you do in the morning. Those of you that have a, to set an alarm clock to get up in the morning, how many of you, when the alarm clock goes off, you do what you normally do, and that is for you, you hit the snooze button two or three or four or five times? How many of you do that? Okay. How many of you say, no, I'm not the snooze type person. Normally, I'm up as soon as my alarm goes up. I'm up and at them, or I'm actually up a minute or two before my alarm. I shut the thing off, and I hit the ground running. How many of you are like that? You're my favorite people. I won't tell you who's who in our house, but we're different. Okay, how about this? You do what you do because you just do, right? We're going to get to that. How about this? You go to a restaurant. Here we're just in the second week of January, the end of the second week in January. How many of you, because of who you are, you're saying, no, when I go and I look at that menu, there's a lot of things I'd love to eat, but I'm going healthy. I I've got the discipline. I'm just going to do the healthy thing. How many of you say, I wish that was me, but honestly, if I'm at a restaurant, I I'm going for it. Like, give me the, yeah, and the dessert, right? 
Okay, cool. You do what you normally do. You don't have to raise your hand for this one. But when it comes to your finances, I wonder how many of you could honestly say, I always put, we always put God first. I realize everything that I have comes from God's hands to mine first. And so no matter what it is, when we have income, the first tenth part goes back to God through the local church where I worship. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm a steward. I live that way. That's just the way I am. The other side of that would be, well, you know what? No, we kind of talk about this. We talk about this. We, we, we don't have enough money to do that. We just kind of spend, and if we have some left over, whatever, we just kind of do that. Our needs come first. We don't really put God first. We kind of put him somewhere else. You see, all three of those scenarios, you know what you do? You do what you always do, but why do you tend to do what you do? That's the question. And have you ever thought about why you do what you do? Now, there are many reasons why we do what we do. There's what I would call some secondary reasons, and then they're the primary reason. The primary reason is where I really want to get us to today, but I'm going to start with some secondary reasons to let you know why we do what we do, and then we'll get to the primary reason. If you would, take out your message outlines. If you're a note taker, this would be a great time for you to take those out. You can fill the notes in as we go. Uh, they'll also pop up on the big screen. You can uh, make your own notes, as some of you are very good at doing. And uh, we're going to start with three secondary reasons of why you tend to do what you do. And one reason that you do what you do, this is a secondary reason, is you feel obligated to do it. Some of the things that you and I do, we do it because we feel obligated. You want to be a good mom, so you do it. You want to be a good dad, so you do it. You want to be a good friend. You want to be a good worker. You, you feel obligated maybe to obey God. But you do what you do because you feel obligated to do it. That's a secondary reason. Let me give you another secondary reason. Another reason why we tend to do what we do is you actually want to do it. We, you actually want to do it. You want to please God. You're, you're disciplined. You want to make wise choices. You're disciplined, so you want to read God's Word. You do what you do because you want to do it. And then the third secondary reason is you want to be accepted. You want to be accepted. You want to be liked. Can anybody think back to school? Peer pressure is a big deal, right? I want to fit in. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. So I did what they, I do what I do because I want to be accepted. And that's why people still today, people get older, but some people don't necessarily grow up and mature. You see adults take fake photo after fake photo, trying to pick the right filter to post the right picture up on Facebook to let the rest of us know that this is what they hope their life really looks like. In that moment, it does, but that's not their real life. Why? Because they want to be liked. We want to be accepted. Accepted. We want to get more likes. So there's all these secondary reasons. We could go on and on. There's way more than three of those. But the point is, we do what we do for a reason. Now, What's the biggest reason you do what you do? If you're taking notes, fill this in. You do what you do because of what you think of you. You want to know why you and I really do what we do? We do what we do because of what we think of ourselves. The biggest driving force of what you do and why you do it goes to our identity. What do we think about ourselves drives what we do more than anything. We're going to unpack that today, and trust me, this is going to be quite a journey and probably some real eye-opening opportunities for change today. 
Look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. The Old Testament Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It says, for as he thinks, or as she thinks, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So how you see yourself drives your behavior above anything else that you do. Now, God's Word talks quite a bit about how to change. We're in a series of messages week two about inside out, mastering the habits that really matter. And we talked about New Year's resolutions don't work, that the power of change comes from God and His Word. And what one of the things we looked at last week is you have to have a spiritual why. Because when you have a spiritual why, you realize it's not about behavior modification, it's about spiritual transformation. If you were here last week or took that in, you heard that many, many, many times. I want us to get that and understand that. But there's a study that's very important that talks about three questions that all of us subconsciously ask ourselves when we're faced with a situation. It happens so quick, it's not that we stop and we think, hmm, let me think through these three questions. It just, we've kind of been programmed. It just comes naturally. It just, these three questions go through your brain before you make a decision of what you're going to do. And remember, because of what you think of yourself determines what you do. So keep that in mind. So three questions. And these questions that you ask yourself, again, you do it without even knowing it. It's just a split second, it happens. The first question, if you're taking notes, is this. You ask yourself when you're faced with a situation, what type of person am I? What kind of person am I? And you, you, immediately you categorize yourself. What kind of person am I? The second question that you ask yourself is what kind of situation is this? Again, these are split-second things going on in your mind because of how you view yourself. What kind of person am I? What kind of situation is? And the third question is, is what does someone like me do in a situation like this? What does someone like me do in a situation like this? With this being this kind of person, this kind of situation, what does someone like me do in a situation like this? And you'll find yourself in all kinds of different scenarios. We don't have to think about it. It just naturally happens quickly. For instance, you're in high school, you're in college, you're taking a test, you're not real confident that you're prepared. You're going through and you're answering the things you do and you look over and you can see the person sitting right next to you, you can see their answers. What do you do? They're an A student. And you're tempted to cheat. You're tempted to take something that's not yours. It's right there. Maybe you're tempted to be generous because that's kind of who you are. You're tempted to be a blessing to someone else because you were blessed, and so you want to pass that blessing on. What do you, why do you do what you do? You do what you do because of what you think of you. And in these circumstances, in these situations, it just naturally comes to the forefront. You do what you normally do, based on who you are, how you view yourself. In this situation, what's a person like me going to do? And we build habits over this. We build a track record of doing similar things in similar situations through the years because of who we are. And we just do what we do because of what we think of ourselves. Keep that in mind. What kind of person am I? What kind of situation is this? For example, when my alarm goes off, listen, 
What kind of person are you? Well, I'm a kind of person that when my alarm goes off, I know I set it for a time I need to get up and get rolling because I don't build in a bunch of fluff. I'm not one of these. Some people, like, I get up two hours before, and I, I just like to take my time, and I just like to sit down, have a cup of coffee, sit around. I'm like, no, that's not me. The type of person I am is I know what time I got to get up because I know what time I get going. I give myself 15 minutes to get a shower, to brush my teeth, to get dressed. My clothes are already laid out and hit the door, and I'm gone. Now, you might say, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm like, hey, I got a lot more sleep than you did. Why waste time? That's just me. But we do what we do. Normally, like today, I woke up three minutes before my alarm went off. I'm like, okay, now, depend. Why do I do what I do? Because that's just who I am. I'm like, I'll just shut it off, get up. Some of you be like, no way, man. I got three more minutes. And then I hit that thing and hit that thing and hit that thing. <laughs> and it feels like you get about one second more of sleep. But anyway, that's just my opinion. So you're the t- Who are you? We just do what we do because of how we view ourselves. We've built this over years. You're driving down the road. Somebody cuts you off. How do you respond? You respond like you probably have been for quite a while because of how you view you in a situation like this. What's a person like you do in a situation like this? Well, some of you are like, gee whiz, I just let them know that they're number one. (laughs) I've seen some of you in the parking lot. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Or you're the type person, some people are this way, that when you get cut off, you just say, wow, you know what? I mistakenly cut somebody off yesterday, so I'm going to give them grace. I'm not going to tell them they're number one. I'm just going to kind of smile and be like, no, no, no worries. I did that yesterday. You did that today. Maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they have a sick kid. Maybe their mind is preoccupied because they just found out a loved one has cancer or something. A diagnosis has just been handed out. I don't know what's going on in their world, so I'm just going to give grace because I need the same thing at times. Why do you do what you do? Because of how you view you. What type of person are you? Somebody brings donuts to the office. You're trying to eat better. You love donuts. What do you do? Some people say, nope, I brought a healthy snack. I'm just going to, as a matter of fact, I just had my healthy snack, so I'm good. Some of you do what you do, and you can do that. Others be like, no, yeah, I'd have a healthy snack, but you know, maybe I could just have a half of one. Because if you eat just a half, it doesn't have that calories. So I just ate a half. Then later, the other half's calling your name. So 10 minutes later, you eat the other half, and it's good because a half a donut doesn't have calories. That's what you tell yourself because that's just who you are. (laughs) Some of you are like, are you kidding? No, I'm knocking everybody down to get that chocolate-filled one. That's what I'm doing right there. (laughs) Listen, we do what we do because of what we think of us. So in every area of your life, you and I tend to do what we do because of what we think of ourselves. Well, can we change? And some of you are like, yeah, I've tried to change, and I just can't seem to change. Why do I still lose my temper? Why do I still tell people they're number one when they cut me off or they go ahead of me when they know they shouldn't have? And I still look at things that I don't want to look at. I still go places that I probably shouldn't be, and I say things again and again that I wish I wouldn't have said, and I catch myself doing that. Why? Why, if you're taking notes, fill this in. If you want to change what you do, you got to change what you think of you. 
This is huge. If you truly want to change you, you got to change what you think of you. Because you do what you do because of what you think of you. So if you want to change what you do, you got to change what you think of you. you got to change your identity. I wonder how many of you are like me. Many of you are saying, I hope not. I wonder when you think about yourself and who you are, I wonder how many of you, like me at times, feel that it's easier to believe the bad things about you than it is to believe the good things about you. For some of us, it's just easier to think about the bad things. It is for me. Why is it that we tend to believe the bad things about ourselves and those hold more weight than the good things about us? I can tell you the biggest reason. The biggest reason is, is because the devil is a liar and the devil has learned It's his nature, and he's been lying to you and I since we were born. He's still lying today. That's what the devil does. He's a liar. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said this, the devil has always hated what? The truth. So God wants us to know the truth because the truth will set us free, and the devil wants us to believe a lie because the lie keeps us bound up. He wants to keep us away from the truth, which is why the devil fights you so hard to read your Bible. Those of you that said, I'm going to read my Bible every day, how you doing? Why is it that the devil doesn't fight you to stay on Facebook, but it fights you when you want to pick up your Bible? Because the truth will set you free. The devil's a liar. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, God's Word says. For he's a liar and he's the father of lies. So what does he do? He's driven by what he thinks of himself. And you know what he thinks of himself? I'm the devil and I'm a liar. Huh. Now watch what Jesus says. I love this. The devil is a liar. And then look what he says in verse 45. So when I, this is, this is powerful to me. This like blew me over. When I, Jesus, tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Let that sink in for a second. The devil lies to us so much, and we believe his lies so much that Jesus himself said, when I try to tell you the truth, you don't even believe me. You stick with the lie. That's how powerful the devil's lies are. You've been believing the lie from your spiritual enemy for so long when Jesus tries to come along and tell you who you really are and tell you how he views you and your identity. We, we've been so programmed to believe the lies that we don't believe the truth. Isn't that powerful and sad at the same time? I mean, that's like crazy to me. And again, you don't believe the truth. The truth is what sets you free. No wonder some of us are so trapped. (laughs) You're used to hearing that you can't change. You're used to hearing these things play over and over and over. You're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to be broke. You're always going to struggle financially. You're never going to get married. You're never going to this. You're never going to be that. You're always going to be this. You're such a failure. You've let so many people down. People would be better off if you weren't even around. Those are the lies we believe. And it's easier to believe the lies. Many of us struggle with it. (laughs) You ever had a bad day or a stressful day and you did something that you wish you wouldn't have done to the people that you love and they love you the most? 
I can have a stressful day, be struggling with something, be wallering in that all day, sit down with my wife at night. She says one thing and I snap at her. She's probably like, where did that come from? And then I feel horrible after I said it. And I'm like, why did I just say that to the person on this planet that loves me probably more than anyone else? The person on this planet that I love more than anybody else? Why did I just do that? And I was ugly. And then I start thinking, wow, she deserves better than I am. Maybe she'd be better off if I wasn't here. You know why we do things like that? Is because the devil's got us so programmed with lies that when we do something bad, we don't just think that I did something bad. We believe the lie that I am now bad. It's not what I just did that was bad. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person. I'm an ugly person. I'm a mean person. I'm not a worthy person. I'm pathetic. I'm a hypocrite. I'm an addict. I'm a loser. If people only knew, isn't that the stuff that rolls through our head? Those lies that the devil tells us. That's how good he is. This is just the way you are. Scott, that's just the way you are, dude. Just face it. He's lying to us about our identity, and we believe the lie. And Jesus said, I try to come and share the truth, and you don't even believe me. And here's what happens. You can fill this in. You want to know what the ramifications of this type of thought process is? Your distorted identity starts to sabotage your success. Because you have a false identity of who you are, because you've b- believed the lies, it starts to sabotage your success. It sabotages. You, you just start feeling there's no way to get out of this. I'm just the way I am. Look, I'm a failure. Yep, here I go again. It just adds to it. Add another block to that. Once again, I've just proved it. Once again, I've proved I'm just an addict. Once again, here I am. So what do I do? I'm just going to do what I normally do. That's painful. So I'm going to pop a pill. I'm going to drink. I'm going to go look at porn. Whatever I'm going to do that escapes me for the moment out of that because I don't like looking at myself and seeing myself that way. I've believed the lie. It's just what I have to do because this is my identity. This is who I am. I stink at handling money. I'm always going to struggle financially. I'm never going to get ahead. I'm always going to be broke. (laughs) And I work so hard. And I'm never going to have anything. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a little retail therapy. I'm just going to go to Amazon and click, 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 buy, click, buy, click, buy, click, buy. Already in trouble. Might as well have some fun. (laughs) You know what we laugh? Because we can relate. I'm never going to have any really close friends. Nobody wants to really be my friend. I thought I had some close friends, and they did this, they did that. I can't trust people. Even though I put on a false front and try to be what I think they want me to be, they're still not my friends. You know why you do what you do? Because of what you think of you. And there's a very deceptive cycle that the devil tries to do in your life and in my life, and you can fill this in again if you're taking notes. He takes your distorted identity and he uses it to create destructive habits. And your destructive habits then reinforce your destructive identity. Do you see that vicious circle? 
That's what the devil does. He, he, he lies to us to get us to believe this distorted identity of who we are. We're a failure. We're, we're never going to measure up. We're never going to have any friends. We're addicts. We're losers. We're mean. We're ugly inside, whatever it is, which causes us to develop some habits. I'm going to drink. I'm going to pop a pill. I'm going to just stay in bed, whatever the case is. And those destructive habits that you've built because of your destructive identity reinforces your distorted identity. And so you just stay in this vicious loop. That's just who I am. I think poorly of myself. And therefore, I just do the wrong things to try to cope. And then the wrong things that I do confirms that I'm not really honoring God. I'm really more of that person than I thought I was. Well, how do you break the cycle? How do you break the devil's destructive cycle? If you want to change what you do, you have to change what you think of you. Your identity has to change. And that's why I want to tell you that you're not who the devil says you are. You're not even who others say you are. You're not what that little critical voice in your head that speaks it over and over and over about yourself. You're not who that voice thinks you are. If you want to know the truth about who you are, you have to go to the source of truth, which is God, your creator, and look at what he says you are. Because he's the ultimate one and the only one that really matters. And then what you begin to do, if you spend enough time looking at who God says you are, you'll, be, you'll start to have a Christ-centered identity. And if you have enough of his word and his truth in you, it will start to battle the lies and you'll start to look at yourself and see who Christ sees in you and you'll start to develop over time this habit of a new identity of, listen, I don't care what the devil says because he's a liar. I'm not even listening to my own voice or other voices. I'm listening to his voice because here is what the creator, the God of all says about me. So fill this in. A Christ-centered identity leads to Christ-honoring habits. And Christ-honoring habits reinforce a Christ-centered identity. This is completely opposite of the other. If you begin to view yourself like Christ views you, you're going to start to develop habits based on that identity. And the more habits you develop that way, the more you're going to see yourself with a Christ-centered identity. And the way that you change what you do is to change how you see you. And when you see yourself through his eyes, it will build habits over time that when they're done, you will start to have a new identity. And that's where lasting change comes from. If you want to change what you do, change what you think of you. You're not who your spiritual enemy says you are. You're not what other people say you are. You've just been believing lies, so you've developed wrong habits, and those wrong habits continue to feed your wrong identity. But what if we spend enough time, consistently over enough time, to take in God's truth about us? I want you to get this. This is so, so important. So I'm going to give you an example of how this plays out, and I want to do it from the life of Christ, and I want to do it in a way that kind of modernizes it for fun. 
So I'm going to tell a story that you might remember or it might jog your memory that I've read that in the Bible or at least something close to that. It's not exactly this story, all right? So don't email me. If you say, gee whiz, I can't believe I went home, I read that story. That's not exactly what that says at all. I'm telling you that up front. So if you, we can have some fun, great. If you don't like the fun and you, it offends you, I'm sorry. You can email me at scott at idontgiverip.com. <laughs> I just want you to get it. So this is a Bible story modernized. Let's say a guy comes up and he says, listen, I'm a PR agent. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I've got this great idea. I mean, this is like a great idea. Jesus, you know what? I know you're walking around from hillside to hillside and seashore to seashore. You've gathered some groups of people. I even heard you gathered 5,000 people, right, and fed them with a kid's lunch. I got bigger ideas for you, buddy. Like, there's this thing called YouTube, and I want to put you on YouTube Live. And it's going to be amazing. And Jesus is like, no, 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 not into YouTube. That's not my deal. I want to be with the people. I want to have the people right in front of me. I don't want to stare at a camera. And yeah, but it's going to go all over the world. No, I like gathering with the people. And so the guy says, okay, well, I, I really, I want you to do this sermon on the mountain. And, and we're going to promote it. And we're gonna, it's going to go big. And so this guy kind of does it, and he tells Jesus, listen, I'm telling you, man, those, those things are selling out. Like, this is selling faster than Taylor Swift concert. Like, Jesus, people are ready to watch you on YouTube live. And so Jesus does his thing, and he's teaching. And there's some people gathered, but it's mainly to the camera to YouTube. And the Pharisees... They're protesting. Cancel Jesus. Cancel Jesus. That's what they're doing. And so Jesus does his thing, and at the end, at the end of the event, security says to him, Jesus, we, we, we got to get you home. And Jesus says, I don't want to go home yet. I want to pray for the people. I want to pray for those and pray with those that have gathered here. And they're like, no, you just need to go home. Like, you reached millions of people online. Don't worry about the people in front of you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want to talk to them. And people were more interested in getting selfies with Jesus than letting him pray with them. They got caught up. And this hurt Jesus' feelings. He's like, people are missing it. And it broke his heart that people were missing it. And when he got done, he finally went home. He regrouped with his disciples. And he asked them, how do you think it went? And Peter was mad because Jesus didn't even tag him in the selfies that went on Instagram. And finally, Jesus just threw up his hands and said, I'm through with all of you. That didn't really happen. That's not in the Bible in case you're new to the Bible. But let's say it did, and Jesus went home. What does he do? He's physically exhausted. He's emotionally drained. He's a little discouraged. He's a little frustrated. 
The people didn't stick around like they normally would have stuck around. He didn't get to touch people and and pray specifically with many of the people because they were so caught up in the rest of it. What does he do? Does he just go in his bedroom and turn on Netflix and binge watch a series? Sounds like a good plan. Was he he so messed up that day and so hurt and so disillusioned that he went into the kitchen and he ate the rest of the thing of brownies and chugged down a quart of ice cream? Does he take a soft bath, turn on the music and put candles on, turn the bath water into wine and drink himself till it was empty? You with me? He's all God, yet he's all man at the same time. His body is tired. His mind is exhausted and fatigued. He's discouraged. What does he do? You know what Jesus would do? He would do what he normally did. Because we do what we do because of who we are. So think about what you do and why you do what you normally do. And then let's look at what Jesus really did after the Sermon on the Mount. What if he asks himself, what kind of person am I? What would he say? He would say, Jesus would say, I'm the type of person that needs intimacy with my Father. That's what I need. What kind of situation is this? I'm in a situation where I'm physically exhausted and I'm emotionally discouraged. So what's a person like me do in a situation like this? They go and spend time with the Father where they get their strength. And so what does Jesus do? According to Scripture, he goes to the Mount of Olives, which wasn't just any old place. It was a beautiful place. When you get home, look it up. 330 feet above Jerusalem, a gorgeous view of the entire city that would overlook the people that Jesus was praying for. And people tell us how often, (laughs) Scripture tells us that, that he went to pray. Look at Luke 21, verse 37. He did what he did because of who he is. Each day, everybody say each day. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, everybody say each evening. Each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. So what did Jesus do? It was his habit. It was his habit. It was his habit to teach in the temple during the day, and it was habit to go on the Mount of Olives at night and pray for the people that he was reaching. Luke 22, verse 39 says, and Jesus came out and went as what? As was his habit habit to the Mount of Olives. He did what he did because of who he was and how he viewed himself. And he viewed himself as God's son. He viewed himself as what? As someone who needed a relationship with his father to get his strength. He had to stay grounded, not to be sucked in by the world. He had to stay connected. And so he taught during the day and he prayed at night, and he did what he did because of who he was and how he viewed himself, and he had built these habits over time. What I want you to say, see, and this is going to give a reflection of your life as well, 
What I want you to see is Jesus didn't say, oh, what a day I've had. I better pray. I don't feel like praying, but I probably ought to pray. I'm going to go have a drink. I'm going to pop a pill. I'm going to eat the brownies. No. He's already been the type of people that prays, and so his prayer habit reinforced the spiritual identity, which reinforced and strengthened his habits. So he just did what he normally did because he had built this over time. Here's what you do. You ready? Write this down. It's not on your note sheets. And this might sound familiar if you were here on the last day of the year. Who before do? Who before do? Who before do? We need to focus on who before do. We need to focus on who we are becoming before we worry about what we do. Instead of focusing on what you want to do, you've got to start with who do you want to become. It's got to be who before do. Jesus focused on the who before the do. He always prayed. He had a habit of prayer. He had a habit of connecting with his father. He had a habit of reading his word. It was a focus on who he wanted to become based on how he saw himself and what he was here to do before he worried about the do. Before I ask you what you want to do, let me start with your identity. Who do you really want to become? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be based on knowing the fact that God created you and put you like no one else? There's not another one like you. He put you in this season, in this time, in this world with your talents, your abilities, your resources to do something for his honor, for his glory. Who do you want to become? See, we're not starting with the action. We're starting with a Christ-centered identity. I want to give you some examples, and you can pick your own, and I hope that you do. We'll start general, and then we'll get a little more specific. What do you want to become? You might be a mom who says, you know what I want to really become? I want to become a mom who's fully present and wholly intentional for God's glory. That's what I want to be. How many of you think that might be a good person to be? I do. That'd be great. God bless both of you that raise your hands. How about this one? I'm a college student. I'm a high school student. And God has changed my life. Jesus has. And so I understand who I am and that all has been forgiven. I found purity in Christ. And what I want to be is pure until I get married. So I'm not doing what everybody else says they're doing. I'm not going to allow another person to use my body as a playground. I'm not. How about that? I'm a man of God who will lay down my life for my wife and for my children. That's a good idea, isn't it? Who do you want to be? Here's another one. I'm someone who is sober and is a testimony of the power of Christ working through me to change me. That's who I want to become. That's who I want to become. Why do you do what you do? 
because of what you think of you. That's why you do it. Because you think of you, what you think of you. You might even get specific. I can hear some specific ones. You might say, you know what, I'm a person who doesn't skip workouts because my health is important because of the spiritual why. My body is a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian who reads the Word of God every single day. Why? Because that's the type of person I am, because I want to see myself the way He does, and the only way I can see myself the way my Creator does is to spend time in His Word. So that's one of my, that's my highest priority every day. That's who I'm becoming. You start with who before do. You're the mom who wants to be fully present and wholly intentional. And every time your phone rings, but you're with your kids or with your husband, and your phone dings, and it dings again. And every time you make a conscious choice, I'm not picking it up. I'm not looking at that right now. Why? Because you've just reinforced the identity that I'm going to be a parent that's intentional and fully present. So I'm not getting distracted. The people in front of me are more important than the people dinging me right now. You following me? I'm going to be a Christian that reads my Bible every single day because I don't believe there's any more powerful voice to speak into my life than that. And then he, <laughs> James Clear, and then we're going to close. If you haven't read a book that he's written, it's called Atomic Habits. It might be one if you're into this and you're serious about it that you pick it up. But notice what his quote says. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. That's the power of the right habits. But you have a spiritual enemy that wants to fight you at truth. Last week we said the key is to come up with a spiritual why rather than just behavior modification, but spiritual transformation. This week we've got to look at who before do. Because the question is, who are you going to believe? Because who you believe determines what you do. And you do what you do because of how you view yourself. Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to wrap it up. Since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned of what? The truth that comes from him. You throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life. That's not you anymore. You've been forgiven. You've been transformed. You throw off the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Believe in those lies. Instead, you let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. It's, it's a mind thing, what you're going to put in. And you put on the new nature created to be what? Like God, truly righteous and holy. You throw off the old and you put on the new. You can't do that without God's Word. And then you start to believe who He says you are rather than the lies that the devil and you even tell yourself. And it, no single action is going to change your identity. There's no magic bullet, if so to speak. It's multiple actions over time of how you see yourself and eventually it changes your identity. So I ask you, who are you? Who are you?
Scripture says that if you have given your life to Christ, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and all things are made new. That's truth. Scripture says that you're God's workmanship. You're a one-of-a-kind, God-made masterpiece. You're a, you're a poetic statement from God to the rest of the world. That's what the truth says. That's what God says. You're not who the devil says you are. You're not who you say you are. You're not even what you think of you. You're what God says you are. If you've given your life to Christ, you're his son. You're his daughter. He's got a picture of you in his wallet. This is my son. This is my daughter. I love them. I gave my life for them. The Bible says that we're more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. You've been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. You've been filled with the very same spirit. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a believer. The devil is a liar, but Jesus is the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> Lots of reasons. But ultimately, you do what I, you do because of what you think of you. The devil is a liar. We've got to step into truth. We've got to spend time with truth. And when you do that, over time, you've got the ability to be the person that God created you to be and to be holy and righteous for his glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.